Writer's Block, episode 13, the writer-artist relationship, the first episode of our action-packed second season brought to you by Crash Kits, the first and only crash-tested casket. I am Rylan Grant, screenwriter, Ringo Award-winning creator of fine comics like Aberrant, Banjax, and The Peacekeepers, the other voice in the dark, the man in the box to the right is... David Avaloni, also screenwriter and comic book person who does things. If you missed our uh, last episode, our pitching discussion with um, Eisner-nominated Swamp Thing scribe Nancy Collins and Archie Comics co-president and Star Wars Poe Dameron Fifall writer uh, Alex Sigura, I strongly suggest you back it on up and check that out. I hope I... Uh, Poe Dameron, is that right? I hope I Poe Dameron, right. yeah. Okay, yeah, because the Star Wars geeks will be all over us. Um, but, uh, Star Wars geeks aside, we have a great show for you today, right? Uh, why don't you go ahead and bring on our guests yes. for today? Jambor and hey. David hey guys. Hey guys. Hey guys. Good Thanks hey. for joining us. Dave, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, my name's Dave Acosta and I'm a comic <laughs> artist. Um, most recently, uh, Worked with my longtime pal, collaborator, David Avalone on uh, Elvira Omega Mam, which was a one shot. Uh, and then I'm currently working on a um, creator owned book with uh, Saladin Ahmed that'll come out mid 2021. Called Dragon? Dragon, yeah. Yes. It had a couple, uh, depending on which publisher it was at for a while, it. Uh, had different names and so finally we got to use our original name again dragon nice dragon. And, and uh we, sure. we, we we have our chasing dragons uh artist uh uh jambor jambor why don't you tell us uh about yourself yeah i'm still um you know a little shocked about your high energy introduction so i'm, I'm, I'm gonna try to follow that i was like Oh my God! What are the expectations here? How I'm going to follow this? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Jason Immen was like, "What is this? Is this like a WWE thing? I'm not ready for this." Like, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. This yeah. is hey, you didn't tell me that. All right. Anyway, I'm uh, I'm Jean Baruska. Thank you guys for having me here. I'm a comic book artist slash animator slash storyboard artist. Uh, anything that's storytelling and art, I love doing. I had a chance to work with Ryland here with on on aberrant which which i i hear it's doing very well congratulations on that uh yeah and then my latest comic book that i've worked on is called chasing dragons which is probably being uh, shopped right now so i there's not much i can i can say how it's available but that's uh, that was a beast that i worked on for took the last two years how oh, many wow. pages uh, 100, 152 pages. That's a big. Oh. That's a big boy. Is that a single graphic novel or is it separate? Well, it, it's there's options are open. So right. we constructed it that it can be like a miniseries or one graphic novel, both. Yeah, yeah. I just and, 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 go the forty page thing I just did with Dave. We I put a break in it, page twenty, just in case things change. <laughs> like yeah, always <laughs> always have a little act break every 20 or 22 pages, just in case someone decides to break your graphic novel up into smaller bites. 
Yeah, it's I a, just thought yeah. you were just being funny, but uh, it turns out it was practical I was too. A little, I did the I did the thing. It's a forty page book, and on page twenty, there's a little bit of a cliffhanger, and in the bottom right corner, it says "End of Part One." Part Two begins on the next page. Yeah, you were, in, comics in the seventies actually used to do that. You'd get like a right. twenty-four page comic, and like the first seven pages would be Part One, and then it would say "End of Part One." Part Two starts right away. <laughs> Why? Why is that in here? What? Okay. Actually, 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 this structure I think works well for us for the graphic novel because, you know, the way I I, I look at this book is you know, a little bit of how how a comic book would look like if if Quentin Tarantino made one. But he and he's always known for ma- breaking up his movie into chapters and volumes and stuff. So mm-hmm. it's it, it it even works for the graphic novel. I think if we we just say okay next chapter is called this and that and then you know 20 years later yeah it's definitely a fun storytelling technique i think you could take raiders of lost ark and cut it every eight minutes and have a chapter of a serial with a cliffhanger roughly every eight minutes in the movie Yeah, and I will. I, I will say in the like in the Netflix in the Netflix age, you know, where we're used to just kind of like, you know, yeah. the, the next one's already next one's next one's already queuing up before the credits are over, um, and you know we're, we are used to binging stuff. And it's one thing that um, uh, you know I, I I could point out a lot of things that Action Lab doesn't do well, <laughs> um, but uh, uh, if you take a look at Aberrant, that is John Bohr's uh, uh, beautiful cover there. Um, but if you take a look at Aberrant, the way they structure their, uh, their trades and they make us do this, they, um, uh, when we are designing our, uh, our floppies, we design them specifically to, uh, go to, um, to go to, to trade. And so they, they make us do these, t- these chapter pages, almost like you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so, yeah. so, so one issue ends and then there is this chapter page where, you know, you can just see chapter, you know, there's a, a title and everything and then it goes right in. Uh, and then you get to, you know, you get to the end of the first issue and that's just kind of a, you know, credits information page. And then the last page of the floppy is actually the cover for the next issue. And then you can oh, just cool. cut it right out and it goes right into the chapter page uh, of the right. second issue. And so, so these trades are set up, you know, again, for the Netflix age where you just keep turning pages. Just, you know, it's like you, you have that little, that little thing at the bottom of the, the screen where it's like, you know, episode two, uh, uh, starting in five seconds, four, yeah. three, two, you I, know. I hate it when it's five. I like to watch the credits sometimes and I hate it when it's like literally the mad scramble to, and on some, like on Amazon, I still have no idea how to watch the credits. <laughs> like every yeah. every button I hit takes me to the next episode. There's I'm, no, uh, no escaping going, it. Going through all the Marvel movies with my son for the first time. And I'm just like, oh, wait till you see after the credits. It's good. This part's really cool. And then like it just keeps queuing up the next one. And I'm trying oh, desperately really? to like, just stay on the credits. We got to see like Nick Fury yeah, show up. That's yeah, particularly weird for those movies, considering yeah. how many of them have that in it. Yeah, because I'm, I, but, but, but I'm going through them with my daughter too. Um, and, uh, and what I found on Disney plus is that they allow you to skip right to those, those, those scenes. I saw that. Yeah. And I was yeah. afraid to press it. Okay. Yeah. 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 They have it set up. They know exactly how people are watching. So cool. um, it's good. Hold how how old is your, how old is your son? He's just turned nine. 
He's just turned nine. Okay, yeah, I, I'm, yeah. I, my, my daughter's my daughter's four, and I'm going through the whole, uh, you know. The... Oh, well, he's been, my kids have been so sheltered. Yeah. Uh, and, like, it's just weird to think of what I was watching because I grew up with cable. Like, yeah. I watched, I was watching Beverly Hills Cop when I was, you know, a kid. <laughs> like, nobody yeah, yeah, cared. Too. Yeah. But yeah. for some reason, like, we've really sheltered them from all that stuff. Uh, but we also have a six-year-old and a three-year-old. So as I'm showing the nine-year-old, they're just seeing everything too, so they're not like going to be yeah, yeah. like <laughs> sheltered at all. But funny, you know. yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think I saw Major League, uh, you know, about five times in the theater when I was, uh, yeah. you know, eight years old or something like that. So um, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, I remember very specifically that when Diamonds Are Forever came out, I think I was seven, and my mm-hmm. father and sister, who was two years older, went, and my parents were like. I don't know about <laughs> that for seven. And then I made them take me to live and let die. And that was fine. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. well, and that I movie think it's, is, by the way, not great for a child. There's the voodoo studs. There's a, yeah. It's more about me just it. not wanting to explain shit. Yeah. Like, I'm just like, I, you know what? I don't even want to get, tell him what this They're is a reference because to. Because they like each other. Well, yeah. 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 Like, no, I mean, they, yeah, they, there are all these tough discussions. I mean, it's like there's the, you know, whatever. I mean, there's the violence and there is sex and there's all that stuff, which is, you know, which is one thing. But then, um, you know, my, my daughter's four and um, she's really starting to wrap her mind around death, you know? And it's, yeah. and it's funny because, I mean, she's, you know, she's in like a, you know, she was in school. No, she's not in school now because of this craziness. But um, she's in school and like the other kids, they don't they don't understand death, you know, but she's asking her right. teacher all these like, you know, high minded questions, about death. maybe I, two, three, four years too the, early. And, and, and it's because of these movies we're watching. And so yeah. those are the discussions that I'm terrified to have is when like, um, you know, when I have to say, uh, she's like, well, what, what happened to that guy? And I'm like, Oh, well, well he died. And she's like, well, what's that? I don't understand. <laughs> is he going to yeah. wake up? <laughs> That's which I, I actually is, think the entire purpose of the Disney corporation is to prepare children for death because pretty much they <laughs> yeah. make nothing Bambi. but children's films yeah. and all of their films are what happened to Bambi's mom? It's like, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, which no. is good. Like, I mean, stories help kids understand. Oh, stuff, totally. Yeah. You know, so I, I don't, I don't think sheltering my son, I, I wouldn't recommend it necessarily. Yeah. It just kind of happened. Like we didn't mean to, but well, we, uh, you know, we, we it's, watch it's good and they can process things that happen in their real lives. Sure you know, by relating it to stories. Yeah. Yeah. Now we watched soul the other day, the new Disney oh, Pixar film. How sad was, was the, how sad was it? Which it's great, but it's entirely about like, it's middle-aged man problems. It's, it's yeah. like, look, yeah. you know, like it's as far from being a children's story. It's about maybe your, your vocation is not your life and maybe your life is not your vocation and maybe you're not defined by your job and maybe uh, your dream oh, great. Every maybe little your dreams can change dream as you age and it's like that's like 45 yeah. year old thinking it's like yeah. hard to imagine an 11 year old yeah. going, am i really it's, investing enough time in other options for my yeah. you know, for my career and, and, and the guy dies not once, but like five times in it, seemingly. Like I, I, I was, yeah. I was sort of half we watching were, it. We were going to watch it with the kids this weekend. A, and my wife and I were like, we need to watch it first just to know how much death is in this. You know, <laughs> like it's just going to be a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's Pixar. But uh, 
we we should talk a little bit about comic books and writing. Okay. All right. <laughs> I, if I you go, insist. I will go back to that. Uh, a good place, because uh, I'm curious and I don't know. Uh, Rylan, how did you and John Bohr meet and start working together? Yeah, well, I, I guess we should set the table for this, right? I mean, because it's, um, I mean, if we haven't made it clear already, maybe we have, maybe we haven't. We brought on artists that we've worked with before, you know, uh, uh, John Bohr and I. Um, the um, the interesting thing with John Bohr and I, uh, as John Bohr said, he's also an animator uh, and a director. And so um, we have this relationship where John Bohr has worked for me and I have worked for John Bohr. Um, so, uh, so John Bohr, um, you know, John Bohr drew, uh, uh, aberrant, uh, for me, uh, right. and did, did an incredible job and we will get to sort of how we met and how we got, uh, uh, down that road also. Um, but then, uh, uh, Chasing Dragons, this, uh, this graphic novel he's talking about is actually set in the world of, um, this film, uh, that was called Orient City. Um, which is kind of this um, uh, samurai Western mashup. Uh, and oh, that cool. is uh, an animated film um, that y you can see it on YouTube, right? Um, is that right, John uh, Is it on YouTube now? It, it, it has leaked, it? yes. <laughs> it has leaked, okay. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yes. So it was this, you know, it, it, it was a short that that played a ton of festivals and and won a bunch yeah. of awards and uh, and 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 was uh, in a lot of ways a um, a proof of concept for uh, like an animated series. Um, yeah, that's that has, exactly what it yeah, was. That, yeah, that um, that was, you know, it's um, uh, it's gotten close a number of times to getting made. It was with Robert Rodriguez for a while, and uh, but anyway, uh, John Boer co-directed uh, that film with uh, with this guy Ryan Colucci, who is another uh, a great. Um, uh, director producer who, um, who I've worked with a, a number of times over the years. Um, but I actually, uh, I actually co-wrote the scripts for, for Orient city. And so, uh, and then, um, and then, uh, came in and, uh, helped Ryan and John board break the story for the feature. Uh, and, um, and then, uh, we worked on, a, another animated film called Krampus, which is kind of a, a you know, a, a Christmas, uh, thing for kids. Um, and so, um, I have written for John Bohr as a director a number of times. So there's nice. this, uh, this, this, this interesting dynamic where we've kind of worked for each other over the years, but, um, but yeah, how did we, uh, you know, how, how did we meet? Um, we, we had a mutual friend. Um, uh, it was a, when I was, um, I was, as, as people have heard me say for, you know, for, you know, about a year now that we've been doing this podcast, or I don't know if it's been a year, it feels like a year, but uh, <laughs> I, um, I have for about 15 years uh, worked in Hollywood as a, as a screenwriter. And, um, you know, you meet any number of kind of uh, trudging buddies, running mates uh, over the course of a, a 15 year career. Um, and this guy, Ryan Colucci, um, who again is a, a pretty uh, great director and uh, a producer, we just became close and Ryan had, um, had over the years done, uh, a couple of comic books, um, uh, himself. And so when I was, when I made the decision to kind of go, uh, to kind of swerve into the comic book lane, um, you know, you kind of gather up all your buddies who have done it before and, and, you know, you, 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 you want, you want that knowledge, right? Um, you want to learn from the mistakes they made. You want to see what they did right, what they did wrong, all those things. So Ryan was one of the people that I kind of pulled close and, and just said, hey, you know, I'm looking to um, wade into these waters. What do I need to do? Um, and, uh, and, you know, more than anything, uh, I needed 
running mates in terms of, of making the book. And so, um, I mean, when you're first trying to, you're trying to do your first book, I mean, you don't know what you're getting with an artist, right? I mean, you can go online and you can see people who have done beautiful pinups, but you, you, you don't necessarily have a recommendation. You don't know how well they can do sequentials. You don't know any of these things. And, um, the gift that Ryan gave me was, look, this is your first book. Um, I have this artist. He's the best artist I've ever worked with. In fact, like, you know, I'm, 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 he's so good that I'm going to, I'm making him like my filmmaking partner. Right. Um, you got to meet this guy, let him read your script, let him, you know, talk to him about your book and, and see if you guys can make this work. Um, and so that was how we met and, and John Bohr and I, um, you know, we got on a Skype and he read the script and we talked about the script and, um, you know, we had a lot in common. Uh, 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 I mean, you know, we, we, we liked a lot of the same movies and a lot of the same comic books. And, uh, we, I remember ta uh, us talking for a long time about 100 bullets and, and, and then there was, there was all those odd, oddball things. Like I, um, uh, I fenced in college. John Bohr was on the Hungarian national fencing team. And so we talked about fencing for way too long. <laughs> wow. uh, and so all these weird connections, but, uh, but we hit it off. Uh, Ryan effusively recommended, uh, uh, each of us and we ended up getting together and making this great book and um what i will say um i mean i i was no stranger to the visual arts i mean i have a a, a master's in in film directing from the american film institute for whatever that's worth um and i you know made dozens of films in my life um a comic book is obviously different um i had a skill set that um you know, could translate uh, uh, very well to comics, but I had to figure out how to do it. And then having someone like John Bohr, who was already a, an experienced uh, a comic book artist, but also was a visual filmmaker too. I mean, somebody who had kind of already taken a skill set like mine and translated in, you know, into comics was very valuable. And so um, uh, I would say that um, John Bohr was this huge shortcut for me, right? Um, it was- Thank you, man. It, 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 <laughs> It, it, it is a very difficult transition, but John Bohr and I were already speaking the same language, um, and um, and and that helps. So, I, I mean, John Bohr, what was it like for you in those uh, those initial uh, uh, days? It was, you know, it's always it's always very um, interesting to to the mostly mostly I've worked with Ryan because as as uh, Ryan mentioned that that we've been working together for a long time and just. Just a detour very quickly how we met with Ryan. I just want to add, we met through Craigslist. I applied for an ad and it, <laughs> it, happened. Wow. it it's, you know, it's one, yeah, in, yeah, once yeah, in a yeah, lifetime yeah, that happens. Well, well, yeah, 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 yeah. Let, 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 let's make it more specific because he put a, he put an ad in Craigslist, New York or Craigslist, Los Angeles. Right. And you are, you are on a computer in Hungary. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Craigslist ad. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I just applied, yeah. and it and it grew into this lifelong partnership where we do lots of things together. So it's it's unbelievable. It's, well, I and I produced a film from a Craigslist ad, like an entire feature film. Wow. I had just produced a gay themed romantic comedy, and I was looking for work on Craigslist, and it was screenwriter seeks producer for gay themed romantic comedy. And I looked the guy up, and he had three produced screenplays. He wasn't just some. Mm -hmm. You know, com he wasn't completely, you know, rolling the dice. And I met him for coffee and he was like, I really like that film. And I was like, well, I, I, I produced that film, so I can get you that director. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, well, sure, then let's do that. And 
kickstarted it and made a movie. But yeah, it, it is funny that like as ridiculous as things like Craigslist are. Yeah. A- anyhow, so yeah, Ryan introduced us to Ryland um, a few years later. And um, yeah, like Ryland said, we hit it off immediately. It was, it was a very smooth uh, uh, ride, I have to say. Sometimes it isn't, you know, with uh, having to work with other um, producers and, and writers, but I, you know, this this was uh, this was absolutely a great experience to do aberrant and uh, the one thing that was new to me on Ryland's approach uh, compared to how I worked be- before is I always worked from from movie scripts you, you know like like the format was a movie script but Ryland sent me a script broken down to panels which I've I've never seen before and that was a new approach it was a more it was more directed in that sense. And um, ha- having to adjust to that was, well, you know, was was a, was a different experience. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, that's some, something we've talked about before. That you know, I like Ryland. I came into comic books from film, and I came pretty late in my career. And the biggest surprise to me was that there's no script format for comic books. No, that there's no accepted. <laughs> I bought a book of like 13 great comic book scripts by amazing writers and I flipped through it and I went, none of these formats even look a little bit like each other. (laughs) They're all completely different approaches to the medium. And in film, you wouldn't work five minutes if you didn't adhere to something that looks at least a little bit like a classical screenplay. So that surprised me. And I'm getting more, you know, I started full script, which is I'm sure what Ryland gave you which is broken down into panels. I'm getting looser with that now. And I wanted to say at the beginning of this, and it's worth mentioning, there are people, none of them in one of our four boxes, who believe that you're only really making comic books if you're doing it all. And of course, it's the guys who do it all. I think Will Eisner says something like that in one of his books. He's like, well, the only comic book creator is a writer, writer artist. Like everyone mm-hmm. else is kind of bullshit. And it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, no, that's not necessarily... Uh, true and it is like any other art a, a a very collaborative one doesn't have to be but there's a lot gained from it being a collaborative one well yeah i, I mean it's a it, it's kind of an absurd statement it's kind of saying you know again it's kind of saying like uh you know well you know uh, uh you're not directing a film unless you're running the camera and oh, yeah. uh, you know well, building the sets and and, and and it's kind of saying that like oh well because quentin Tarantino, Tarantino needs a, a hundred person crew uh it's not a quentin tarantino movie you know what i'm saying right. it's like there's that, that's a quentin tarantino movie right, but, it's, <laughs> but it is also that thing you know like when, when i went to college i had someone i had a dp i had someone shoot my senior project yeah and literally they called me hollywood dave because I'm, you're not shooting your own project i'm like no i don't <laughs> I, got better, dave. I got better things to do you know i thought it, it was kind of charming and funny in the long run it didn't offend me uh, and I, I, I left college and moved to Hollywood. So it's not like it was an inaccurate, uh, descriptor, but, uh, I, like you, I felt like I lucked out. Um, Dave was the second artist I worked with at dynamite was given a doc Savage one shot. And there was a plot element that didn't make a difference to me, but was going to make a huge difference in difference in Dave's day. And because I came to comic book writing late, I read a lot of like how-to stuff because I was just curious what people had to say. And I can't remember who it was. might have been Neil Gaiman who said, ask your artist what they want to draw. 
and just keep that in mind and give them something they like to drive every once in a while. And this wasn't exactly that, but this was a Doc Savage thing. And Doc Savage has a headquarters on the 86th floor of the Empire State Building. He also has a place called the Crime College in upstate New York, which is kind of a rural thing. And when we had just been introduced, I emailed Dave and I said, it's a Doc Savage thing. I don't actually care about the location. The story can, you can draw the 86th floor of the Empire State Building, or you can draw trees in upstate New York. <laughs> what do you want to draw? And he was like, oh, trees. Trees, <laughs> yeah. That's all the definitely, editor. Definitely trees the editor instead even... of painstaking recreations of 1930s Art Deco architecture. Before she even asked or told me what the project was or who the writer was, she's like, what do you want to draw? <laughs> yeah. Like trees That's or right. Empire. I'm like, oh, not the Empire, please. I'll take, yeah. Trees at night is the best thing because you just yeah. ink with it all black and it's silhouettes. It's which is what we which is what I ended up doing and it had like I said I it, it, I would have I would have dealt with either thing at all but I thought it was a good start and then right. we got in direct communication and then I got offered my second mini series at Dynamite and they asked me who I would like and I had had such a good time collaborating with Dave that I asked to have him back and now we've done I don't know four five projects together something like that yeah it's been pretty much solid every year last five years i think yeah something like that uh see i had um <laughs> i don't know why but dynamite made me sign an exclusive contract when i started with them and i'm just like um okay <laughs> so i uh, so i started drawing a book called chastity with mark andreco right and um that was canceled after six issues so they kind of just had me in the bullpen and trying to use me since I, you know, was exclusive for some reason. And so I'd got bounced around a lot to a bunch of one shots and then finally ended up on, uh, the doc Savage one with, uh, Avo and, uh, and yeah, you were the first writer that actually like emailed me to be like in touch about the story. Everyone else, I would just get a script and that was it. I wouldn't, I did my part and turned it in and, yeah. uh, never even really chatted about it and uh even though i you know i loved working with the writers that they put me with it was you know very pleasant but i'm like oh wait we can talk like <laughs> i felt like and i still feel like when we talk you know you know ourselves i feel just like we're just like whispering in the back of church like hey there is a there is a there was a little bit of that especially being new to it i didn't there was a little bit of a like can i Am I allowed to talk directly to the artist right. without going to the editor? It's like we're in class and we're just in the back. Hey, this sucks. We should do this. Okay. Yeah. Let's do that. And yeah. and uh and I can see why there are people who absolutely just file the script and walk away and forget oh, sure. what happened to them. But I just for me it comes from filmmaking in that the idea of like directing a film and then handing the footage to the editor and walking away and going, have fun. Right. I look forward to it. I'll meet you at the premiere as opposed to, no, we're going to sit together and shape this thing and make right. it what we both want it to be. Well, it's funny that because we've gotten so close over the last couple of years, just as friends and as collaborators, like we kind of can read each other's minds yeah. or anticipate at least what the other's going to think or feel about a certain thing. Like I add things or change things. And 
it's not like because I think it'll make it better, but I think oh, Avil will like this. He's gonna. Oh like yeah. It. No, and that's uh, and and that's sort of the ideal thing is you do sort of have to be. You want to be on the same page, but you you can't have so much the same mind that there's nothing new being brought into the collaboration. And uh, but yeah, like again, like a director working with the same actor or DP all the time, you get to a you quickly get to a place of shorthand where you know what the other person likes and what they're going to want to. It's, you know, and you've made it clear to me what you don't like to draw. <laughs> <laughs> I always give you at the end of every project, I'm like, I'm never drawing this again. I'm never drawing this again. Don't yeah. you dare ask me to draw this again. Uh, yeah. Last time it was the it was the lobby of the Griffith Observatory. Yeah, that was a lot. That's a you very forbid yeah. for putting that in yeah. any of your comics. But it's a spectacular page, man. It's, it's, a it's great. Page. Never going to draw it again. If yeah. you it's put a, that a, in. It will be a personal it, it, insult. It's funny, how, it's funny how universal that is. I remember getting that note from Ryan on one of the films we were writing for you guys, John Bohr, where uh, I, I say we because uh, the films I wrote for John Bohr, I wrote, I co-wrote with my uh, my um, uh, my uh, film TV writing partner, uh, D. Kronernekian. But I, I remember getting that note where it was like we, we had set a scene in a certain location and the note back from Ryan was like, yeah, John Boar doesn't want to draw that <laughs> by the new location. And we're like, but it's such a good location. It's the perfect location. Yeah, John Boar doesn't want to draw that. Yeah. So you, know, it's you so got to put it down. You got to put down the foot. <laughs> it's actually interesting that you, you guys talk about this because uh, I, I know when I when I read a script or I, you know, I, I consider locations, try to visualize it. And, you know, there are my preference to what I like to draw is always the characters. And it, I, I power through the backgrounds, basically. That's, that's, my, that's my approach. I try to find my, you know, the love in it, but sometimes it's difficult. Yeah. And you probably can see it in my art, you know, like the, the characters might be well, more well rendered and the, the rest is I'm trying to come up with a smart way to show it without having to put too much work in it. But I remember yeah. that I, I, once I met an artist uh, who, who was at one of the, one of the comic cons, I don't remember which one. And he, he had a booth next to us and uh, he had a comic book where, where the, all the backgrounds and the scenery was so beautifully rendered and the the characters were just rubbish, very poorly <laughs> drawn. And I could say, Oh, this guy's the opposite of me that, that he probably doesn't care about the characters. He just wants to show the intricate, you know, Art Deco, right. you know, Empire State Building. I don't know which floor you guys are talking about, yeah. but, you know, yeah. that kind of stuff. And it, I was surprised that this exists, too. You know, it's... Yeah. So here's, a, 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 I think, a helpful analogy from film. To me, the the acting is more important than the set decoration. If you have a close-up of a great actor reading a great line of dialogue, that beats anything else in a movie. And there's a story William Friedkin told about making Sorcerer. And he shot it in South America on location, very dangerous locations. And at the time he started making it, Steve McQueen was the biggest movie star in the world. And Steve McQueen said, I will do it. You have to shoot it in Georgia. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> you can't go to South America. You can't do that to me. You got to write in a part for my wife. And he said no, and he made the movie with Roy Scheider, who's a great actor, but the movie bombed at the box office and killed his career for a bunch of years. And he said, in hindsight, I can shoot a close-up of Steve McQueen 
anywhere. I was an idiot. I should have shot a bunch of close-ups of Steve McQueen behind the wheel of a truck with some trees behind him in Georgia where he was nice and comfortable, could go back to the hotel in the evening, wasn't in the Amazon, and then gone to the Amazon with the second unit and shot the rest of the movie. Like, why did I screw that up? You know, I could have had a Steve McQueen movie in 1974 and been a very wealthy and successful man, and instead I made an art house film that nobody saw because it didn't have a giant movie star in it. And I do think like the number one thing that's disappointing in mediocre art is the acting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is you you staying on model is also kind of key for me, but even that it's like there are things that you want to be able to convey in the face of the character. And if the yeah. artist can do that, everything else is secondary. It's such a big deal. The the I I love this idea of the artist as the actor. I mean, the the artist is any number of things. Also, I mean, the artist is is the DP. The artist is the 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 production designer, the costumer, all of these things. Um, and in fact, when I'm you know, it's it, Jumbo sort of alluded to this. I mean, I have a I have a directing education from the American Film Institute Conservatory. So my my scripts are not. It's not just a script. It's like it's half screenplay, half director's notes. So if I were directing the film. And in fact, I'm, uh, if you if you look at any of my books, I give myself I give myself a writer director credit, um, uh, uh, which pisses some people off. But fuck them, it's my book. Uh, but but so 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 they're they're half they're ha- it's half script half you know director's notes. So anything that I would give to a DP, uh, uh, you know, to a production designer, to a um, a, a set decorator. Uh, uh, that, that's in the script, and that's what John Bohr was talking about. With the caveat that the first thing I ever said to John Bohr is like, "Look, I'm I'm going to give you a script. It's going to be very detailed. Um, uh, it's going to seem insistent, um, uh, but don't take it that way. You know, uh, uh, I, I I almost challenge you to if you see a different way to do it, um, come and talk to me about it, right? Um, and uh, and and what I will say is that. John Bohr did that. Um, you know, John Bohr's a director himself, and 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 he, and he sees this thing come to life in his mind, and 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 sometimes he sees it a, a very different way. And I would say ninety, and, and so he had no problem coming to me and saying, "Hey, we should do this a different way." And ninety nine percent of the time that he did that, he was absolutely right, and we ended up going that way. Um, uh, so, I mean, it's it, 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 it's funny because I uh, uh, David Pepos and I have done a panel at. Uh, at, at comic cons, uh, probably a half dozen times, at least we've done it at San Diego. We've done it at WonderCon. Uh, um, uh, I call it directing your comic. And, and, and in the, pa- the premise of the panel is I cast the, the, you know, the, uh, the writer of a creator own book as the director of his book and then cast the, you know, the, the, the colorist, the, uh, um, the artist, everything is, as other kind of members of the, of the film crew. And then, uh, and, and, and David Pepos is there to disagree with me and argue the other side. And we kind of go back and forth and, 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 and do this thing. And so I have, um, you know, I've talked at length about that metaphor. What I've not talked about and what I'm really interested in right now, coming back to your point is the, the artist as the actor also. I mean, I think that that's such an important part um, and it's something that John Bohr is great at, just um, uh, getting the the emotion of the scene across uh, on a face. And um, and I think it's the first thing I look for in any, in any collaborator. I mean, um, you know, uh, Davi Leon Diaz, who is who's drawn a number of things for me, he's drawing the peacekeepers for me right now. Uh, Brazilian artist. I mean, he is, um, you know, he's uh, 
there are things that other artists do better than 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 him. Okay, um, the thing that he is masterful at, though, is just punching you in the face with a with, with a facial expression. Right. I mean, it's just, there. It, it, you know, I, I, I don't know that I've come across anybody that does it as well as he does. Just it's, you know, the the emotion of a scene of a character of everything is just right there in the face. And it's just such a uh, it's such an important part of this. And, and I think that nine to ten books that you pick up don't have that. You know what I'm saying? It's just it's they've drawn the character. It looks like the character, but you're receiving no emotion from that character. Right. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, they, they say that, you know, when especially in animation when you animate you're the animation director you you're the actor basically you tell the the character what to do how to deliver the line what hand motions to do what body language to use so i think that's i think that's a wonderful form of art yeah and same yeah. as for the live action actor that's he's he's delivering mm -hmm. he's expressing but uh, i have wow. to say that i i was that run into poser problems with that. What, what, what was Say that? Say that again, Dave. Uh, well, I was thinking a lot of artists use poser or software to get their, uh, you know, like body language and reference for figures. They will just trace a blank face, you know, and they don't go that extra step to actually give it expression, which yeah. I think uh, kills it a lot for me, anyway. It's also, you know. It, it, in a way, the two things feed each other. Bad art is, and especially unexpressive art, is responsible for a lot of bad writing. Mm -hmm. Because basically, if the art isn't conveying it, the writer is forced to do, you know, I mean, how many thought balloons have we seen from the 70s and the 80s that are like, <laughs> if only the artist could draw an emotion that was understandable i wouldn't have to tell you all this stuff in this thought balloon to explain what's going right. on you can just see it in his face yeah and mm -hmm. that's such an interesting point and it's something that i had to hold my tongue when we were doing our lettering discussion a few weeks back um you know we we, we had two really seasoned pro letterers on right and, and it was a really interesting conversation and and i agreed with 99.9 percent .9 of what they said and it was informative and I, I learned a ton however you know you get into this thing and you have these kind of like pro in the trenches letterers and and, and they were like you know you should never be doing revisions during the uh, the lettering process and 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 you know and these are guys that you know these guys letter like 30 books in a week you know what i'm saying boom 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 <laughs> boom, boom, boom 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 and 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 revisions are like speed bumps and i i understand where they're coming from and they are right to a certain degree but um you know there is um there was something that happens when uh, uh, you know you, you 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 see the art and then you see the letters with it, right? And and you know what I found, particularly with John Bor's art, is that it's like you're talking about. It's like maybe I had you know maybe I had three lines for a for a panel, um, and then you see him with the art, and it's like, well, well, the art's already saying all this, right? So let's let's you know let's let's get the scissors out. Let's cut this line. Let's cut that line. Let's cut this line in half. We don't need it because the 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 artist uh, uh, has 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 done the work for me. Thank you. Yeah. You know, no, uh, I used to. Av I used to Avalone is really good at that. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I, he yeah. always does a lettering pass after he looks at all the artwork. So before the letter has you know done any work, yeah. I try to sure... get in before the letter has done a first pass, and I I give it like. It doesn't take me long to do the revisions after I've seen the art. It's like I need maybe two hours, three hours to go through and just tweak a line there, add a line but here. But that's not something everyone does, especially in the production line method that we've 
you know, worked often together. Yeah. A lot of, like you said, a lot of writers just turn in the script and that's it. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I, I can't imagine, imagine how that works. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. I, I just, I just it's, said it's, it's unbelievable like, to me. It's, it's yeah. like abandoning a film in post-production. It's like, it's yeah. your fault if they didn't end up making the film you wanted them to make. Right. You know, yeah. I did a couple of times early in my career as a film editor, I did that where I would cut the film and go, well, it's, it, I don't have to sit in on the online. I don't, I don't have to listen to the sound mix. Do I like, it's all there. And then you watch the sound mix and there are effects missing and yeah, there are, see everything. you know, there, there's ADR that needs to be done because of things and they, they missed it and all that. So I learned 25, 30 years ago, you gotta, you gotta ride the thing all the way to the end and even beyond the end. Dynamite just released uh, one of my trade paperbacks and it had three pages without uh, balloons on it. God. They lost three pages of dialogue. Yeah, that's right. It's the kind of thing where I, when they sent me the, the galley, and I will never make this mistake again, when they sent me the proofs, I was like, well, I proofed these four issues 30 times. Right. And this is just dropping those into a book. So clearly that's not going to be fucked up. I'll just look at I, what I always do. I look at the the first five pages, you know, the introduction, the contents page, all that. And then I look at the end and I look at the transitions between the yeah. issues to make sure the page turns aren't screwed up. It never occurred to me, no, buddy, even <laughs> though this has already been printed and sold to people, you actually have to look at every page because someone can click a button and a layer in Photoshop goes away and suddenly there's no dialogue on three pages of the fourth issue, by the way, mm -hmm. during the climax. <laughs> of Not the important. What's really funny to me, and this is kind of a nice, this is one of the nicer things. Everyone who told me they bought the trade and I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. They were like, I have the issues. Don't worry about it. <laughs> like oh, they already had nice. either the digital comics. They're like, no, no, I know what's happening on those three pages. It's fine. I read it in the floppies. Uh, it's fine. So I was like, well, that's, I'm glad some of you are all familiar with what happened already. <laughs> so there's this interesting thing that I think we're, we're kind of getting at right now. Um, you know, we're, I think there are kind of, there are two kinds of creators uh, that you meet, you know, uh, in the comic world and, you know, particularly on a show like this, talking to creators where it's like, you know, you have the people who are kind of all in, right. And, 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 and no matter you know, no matter if they're the writer or the artist or the or the letterer or the colorist or the editor or whomever, they are taking kind of an auteur's approach to this thing, right? Where it's like there is this massive piece of them in in the work, and they and and they care desperately about they care desperately about what the trade looks like, right? Because it's a piece of them that's out there, right? And it, and and they can't sleep at night knowing that you know there's the I mean for for me. Um, when, 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 uh, actually I put out the Banjax trade and, you know, Banjax is my baby. I mean, I've been writing professionally for 15 years and I've, I've, you know, written great movies and stuff like that. But Banjax is like, it's, you know, I think it's the best thing I've ever written. It's my favorite thing I've ever written. And, um, on, on one of the, on one of these chapter pages, um, it was fine in the floppy, but in the trade, they somehow ended up putting a, an old version of it in. And so they had the wrong chapter number. Oh, man. And so, and so chapter three, I think, is marked as chapter two also. So there are two chapter twos. And it's like, mm. 
uh, you know, 999 out of a thousand people who are reading this, like don't even notice yeah, it, but, 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 but it, it literally hurts my soul. You know what I'm oh, saying? Yeah. <laughs> and so, and so there are people like that. And I think we have four of those people sitting right here. Um, and then there, then there are the people who are like, they're, they're punching a the clock, right? It's like, well, yeah. I have, you know, and, and, and I've worked with people like that and, and whatever. It's like, you know, you got to pay your bills. It's like, you know what? I have, uh, I have, um, you know, I have five more books to letter this week. So, you know, that's how <laughs> yeah. I was until pretty recently because I would turn in my work. And once I saw who colored it or the lettering and there'd be, mis and no one sent me a proof or anything, but I would just yeah. see that. Like, oh man, you know, this is like, I was so bummed the first time that I'm just like, well, you know, if they're not going to involve me, it's, I'm, it's work yeah. for hire. There's nothing I can really do about it. Sometimes it's uh, out of so your hands. Just, yeah. Yeah. I learned yeah. to just be like, I did my part the best I could, you know, it's out of my hands. But over the years, I've kind of outlived most of the editors. So yeah. now when editors are brought on, I'm like an old dude. So they kind of involve me more. Yeah. So I'm just like, oh yeah, okay. Well, you're gonna regret this because on page three there's this, and I'm like yeah. recoloring and re, you know, move this lettering here. You know, like we had so many, so many back and forth notes on the Elvira Omega Man one shot. You know, just a mm -hmm. one shot, but yeah, uh, we were but so some, damn hard on sometimes it. Sometimes one of the things, one of the comical thing that we went back and forth on the most on the Omega Man is the villains are orange skinned zombies it's a little right. trump joke it's cheap they 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 are basically people who drank cleaning fluid to cure themselves of covid and the cleaning fluid interacted with the covid and turned them into orange skin zombies it's a ridiculous premise but walter who's an amazing naturalistic colorist walter perea couldn't absorb the idea of like bright orange people. And he kept giving me a beautiful textured brownish <laughs> natural skin tone. Nice and I'm like, no. And yeah. what finally got it through, like we went through five shades of orange and what finally yeah. got him through, I sent him a picture of a traffic cone. Nice. <laughs> and I said, these people are orange. Like Gamora is green. Yeah, like Nebula funny. is blue. They're not normal human beings with a, with a spray tan yeah their skin has been turned into an unnatural color stop trying to be a natural color but we literally i think i saw six different versions of orange and walter was just like edging it a little more orange every time and i'm like no 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 yeah. but you know that's that it, it's sell the joke yeah and and also that was the kind of thing that i wouldn't have a lot of times I don't care that much about color because it's not a, it's not always crucial to my storytelling or the colorist does a fine job and has fine whatever. But in this, Elvira makes 300 on-camera jokes about how orange they are <laughs> and calls them tangerines, calls them, you know, pumpkins, a million things. And I'm like, that doesn't land if they're not, if they're not orange, none of that makes nice, any sense. A nice bronze. Yeah. Like you have to... And that's actually a big thing that you see in sometimes in movies and you see it in comics too, but in movies you see a thing where there was something in the script and then they cast someone that does not match the script mm. and they leave the line in the movie the way it is. And you're like, mm. but that person isn't tall. <laughs> why, mm -hmm. why are you calling them tall? I, you know, I, Rylan has heard me say this before, but my favorite screenplay adaptation 
in the history of screen is the big sleep. Philip Marlowe is supposed to be six four. They cast Humphrey Bogart, who's maybe five nine in shoes. And when he meets the femme fatale in the book, she says, You're very tall, aren't you? And he says, I try not to be. And the genius, they have Humphrey Bogart on set and they change it to, You're not very tall, are you? <laughs> and he says, I try to be. And it's like, yeah, observe the reality. If you left that line the way it was, everyone in the audience goes, to whom is Humphrey Bogart a tall person? <laughs> that's a, just a really odd thing to say. And that's, that's why it's got to work. It's a living script. You can't yeah. just be like, this is what the writer wrote. I have to do it this way uh, or I'll get in trouble. You know, You have to say, this is what the writer wrote. What is the story trying to do? What are they trying to do and help them get there? You know, yep. you just you just can nudge things along a little like, well, I think this is what you wanted, really. Right. But you have to have the, it, you have to understand the story and have the best intentions, not just stepping over somebody's lines or whatever. And, and, and I think that it's, it's, it's not a very good experience, you know, like when when you don't have you can't communicate with the with the writer. I think it's. Mm -hmm. That's how it becomes a nice process. That's how the result becomes nice when I can go back and forth and, you know, pitch an idea and, and run it by Ryland or whoever I'm working with. Because, uh, you know, when when there happened sometimes in my life when, when I was working with somebody who was like, no, this is the script, stick stick to it. There's no no room for discussion. And then I was like, I stopped caring. All right, all right, this is exactly this is this is gonna be terrible, but I'm gonna draw it because that's how it's gonna be. This, yeah, that's that just doesn't work. It takes the fun out of it. Exactly. Well, you know, when I was a film editor, I'm like, look, you hired me for my expertise and for the fact that I've been doing this for, depending on how many years ago, twenty, thirty years. I will sit here and push buttons if you like, yeah. but you should hire an intern to push buttons for what you're paying me, <laughs> yeah. for my hourly rate, you should really listen to me when I tell you this doesn't work. Yeah, like, it, 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 it's so it's so rough when you just get relegated to button pusher, you know, and and, 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 and we talk about this, like we talk about, um, you know, there, there is this switch that flips where it's like, I mean, for me, I'm all in on everything. I'm trying to put a piece of, you know, I mean, if I'm, you know, when I was at AFI and I was working on people's films, when I'm the fucking gaffer, I'm trying to put some of myself in the film, you know, like not trying to be an asshole about it or something like that, but it's like, but, but the stakes are high. And, 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 and it's like you say, I mean, you can kind of get put in a corner and, and, you know, somebody as important as the artist or the writer can get put in a corner. It's happened to me a number of times on, uh, on Hollywood shit. And you just, you just tune right out, right? The switch flips and then it's just a fucking paycheck and you don't care. And, and, and it's not that you don't exactly. care, but it's like you're, you you have to not care, right? Because it's like, well, well, I am trying to put some of me in this. You're not allowing me. So I have to just kind of I am a I am now an automaton executing these things. And um, and, you know, it's uh, it, it was really hard for me to get to get used to. It's like, well, not every I mean, because, you know, I, I came up in the Sundance movement. Uh, uh, I saw Pulp Fiction, decided I wanted to make films. I came out to Hollywood, I wanted to make those films, right? Uh, I went to AFI, which is the snootiest, like, uh, uh, most pretentious film school in the world. And I got my, my uh, you know, my, my, my snooty, uh, uh, pretentious uh, uh, film directing, directing education there. I get spit out into the, 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 the workplace and they had stopped making Pulp Fiction at that point, you know? And so now they're only making these kind of big time Hollywood films and I kind of had to, I sound like an asshole when I say this, but I had to settle for 
this career writing kind of big poppy action movies and some horror movies and stuff like that. And, um, and, and so, um, you know, right off the bat, it's like, I'm the guy that wants to make Pulp Fiction. I'm the guy that wants to make personal films. And I want to make every, every rewrite job. I want to make a personal film. And like, I had to get, I got like a really stern talking to from my agents at CAA right off the bat being like, dude, like, Sometimes these things are just paychecks, you know, I'm like, I don't, I don't want to fucking write white noise three. Why would I write white noise three? You know? And they're like, uh, because it would pay you a lot of money. And then you would be the guy who wrote, right. Who wrote white noise three. And then when you, you know, when you're up for that job, uh, six months from now that you really want, you have a credit and, and it took me, so it took me way too long to learn that. Right. Um, uh, to kind of like yeah. hang my, my, my asshole thing up. And, um, and, and, and so I had to learn to do that and I have learned to do that. And it, it's still devastating every time I have to do that. But back to John Bohr's point, it's like, I mean, I think that it, it, it just so lowers the quality of, of the work. Right. Um, yeah. and I can just feel, I can just feel myself drop, drop out of warp and, 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 and they know it too. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, 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 you know, that, that person who kind of sat you in the corner just sees that it's not there anymore. And they're like, well, why isn't it here? And it's like, well, you won't let it be here, <laughs> you, you know? Um, and, and that's, I, I, I'm still having those trouble. I, I'm still having yeah. that trouble. And it's, and it's the, it, it, go ahead. I was just going to say one of the, my favorite things that Avalone and I have done is we keep going to these different properties that we have a fondness for, but no one really cares about. And so we exist in this kind of B movie thing where it's like, we're doing critters four, and it's yeah. like, and it's like, critters if we can bring some resonance to critters four, like it tickles us. Like we've done doc Savage, the shadow, you know, Elvira for a long time. And well, it's just low expectations on all of these books, but we, I still hear from fans all the time as you know, like there are people that are rabid for these properties and, to treat them with, you know, some kind of respect, you know, mm-hmm. and like, well, uh, no, and I, like, I love that. I love in that, that gutter. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, 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 I've said this to Avalone and let me say it to you because, because you deserve to hear it too. Um, you know, I, again, like I, I, I was a movie, movie snob. I am also a comic book snob. Right. And, 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 and so, and I have the luxury that, you know, comics, that's not my day job. My day job, I write movies and TV shows. And this is something that uh, comics is something I do on the side. And so, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't have to take, uh, you know, I, I'm not scrambling for work. So it's like, I'm not, mm-hmm. uh, what job can you give me? What job can you give me? Um, and there was, there was a while where I never, you know, I, I couldn't see myself doing, you know, whatever. I mean, if Marvel came a knock or something like that, uh, of course, but, um, I was really snobby in terms of the right for hire stuff. It was like, well, you know, I, I, I don't know that I want to write, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to offend anybody, but, but, but it, it, insert name of, you sure. know, whatever. Like, I, I, I don't know if I could ever see myself writing uh, uh, Doc Savage or Elvira. Um, and I was snobby about it until I really sat down. I got to know Evaloni really well. And I, I started reading some of the stuff he was writing uh, and, the, and the stuff that you were drawing and like the glee with which you guys do this stuff, the, 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 the way that you guys make it your own um, and that you make it sing and you make it like something that is fucking wonderful. Like I, I am, I, 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 ne- I never thought in a million years that um, nothing against Elvira, but there are 8 million things out there and Elvira was not one of my things, but I right. read your book and it, and it is so full of energy and, and, and it is, it's such a delight to read that it's like, I want more of it, you know, like I'm an Elvira fan now. Yeah. Um, and, and so seeing that 
really inspired me. It's like, well, you can, there's a way cool. to do these things. Like you have to work hard to find it, but uh, on some, uh, but there's a way to make any of these things your own and to make them sing and to make them wonderful. And so, uh, and so, yeah. Um, oh, so thank you. Uh, I, you know, yeah. I think a lot of that I've talked about it before, but a lot of that is my father's influence who was a novelist wrote over 200 published novels mm -hmm. and you can't do that if you're precious, <laughs> you know, you can't pay the bills if you're precious about what projects you take. And the most, the dumbest things he ever worked on, he still developed a fondness for. He said, it's actually, it's in his uh, who's who. <laughs> I don't even know if that book's still in print, but he said a writer should be able to write anything from a garden seed catalog to the Holy Bible. And I have tried to take that attitude <laughs> um, you know, and in, in 96, a low budget producer I was working for gave me the, a terrible script and said, can you rewrite this and make this movie for, a, for $15,000 total? And I did. And I was like, how much of this do I have to maintain? And he's like, well, the main characters are a stripper and a kickboxer that has to stay everything else, do whatever the hell you want. And I had a moment of like, ugh you know, independent films with scenes in strip clubs are like the worst. I don't want to ever do that. And then, you know, I had a little moment where I remembered my father and I was just like, a stripper and a kickboxer are human beings. They have human emotions. Shit can happen to them. That is drama and comedy. And there is not a, a human being with any job description on earth that you should be incapable of writing a story about the end. Mm -hmm. It, it, Someone should it, be it, able to come to you and say, it's a garbage collector and a clerk at Walmart. Great. I got a will There's a movie in there. I will find it. There's a story in there. And if you can't do that, this isn't, you know, let me put it this. If you can't do that, doing this for a living isn't for you. <laughs> uh, because the living will not be made with, you know, today, you know, with the, you, you can't. There is not a lot of staring off into space time in the pressure of a monthly book, particularly. Uh, and that's honestly, you know, you can complain about deadlines. That is my favorite thing in some ways about the work is that there's no tap dance. Do it now. No, <laughs> Stand I'm up doing and tell my first. Um, you've got five minutes. Like, I appreciate that pressure. I'm yeah. doing my first uh, creator owned. And so that's kind of one of the things I'm struggling with where I'm just like, can I take an extra day and like work on this page? <laughs> like, like, is, are you allowed to do that? Like I'm boss. just so used to the, the kind of grind and Avalone's right. So that helps me finish it. It's like, okay, well mm -hmm. this is, you know, this has to be like this and I can get this done. And, you know, and, yeah, my, um, I, my ideal working situation, honestly, and I can't always afford it. Um, so I don't do it that often, but uh, I have an assistant type for me and it's not, I'm a great typist, I'm a fast typist. It's not that. It's if there's another person in the room, I can't bear the idea that they're bored waiting for me to say something. So if I have oh, wow. someone sitting here with their hands on a keyboard, really someone I'm paying an hourly wage, I'm like, well, I have to talk nonstop for the five hours they're here and produce 20 pages of material. Like that's, mm -hmm. that is otherwise I am wasting money. I am wasting their time. And Interesting. I am naturally a performer on a certain level and 
telling another human being a story is much easier for me than mm. being alone and doing it. And 80% of my work as a writer, I have done sitting alone at a computer. But when I can, when I really want speed and it helps when I'm overbooked, uh, this time, well, not this time, but October, November last year, I agreed to do a script a week for Dynamite for about eight or 10 weeks. They wanted to wrap up two series I was in the middle of writing and they just wanted them done. And I made a deal with them. I was like, I'll do this, pay me this, and I will give you a, a new script every eight days tops. And I did it. But I, that it, a couple of times in there, I hired someone to come and put their hands on a keyboard for me and mm -hmm. listen. Because when you're telling a story to someone at a party, you can't hit a point where you go, now what's the best way... <laughs> how can I get us to that punchline? You know, you can't take a half hour getting to the punchline of your story. You just can't. And the pressure to improvise. And I understand, you know, uh, people overestimate, I think, how much of things like uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm are improvised. But I honestly believe that Larry David is just too lazy to work in a writer's room. And it's way easier to come up with a one-page, a Stanley. Larry David is the Stan Lee of television. He comes up with uh -huh. a you know, page of bullet points, you know, with scenes and then gets some people together, hopefully very funny people. Well, and that's one just of the, much easier than having to sit alone in a room and make it happen all by yourself. Yeah. The thing that was unique when we did Omega Man, because we worked on it from April till October yeah. of this year. Longest we've ever uh, had to create 40 pages of a comic book. Right. And uh, there, I would get five pages at a time or 10 pages. You know, it was evolving because it was written with Elvira, Cassandra Peterson, too. And so she had input. And then, like, a couple times the project got put into limbo. And so we'd leave it and then come back to it. Um, but to me, the funnest part is I would write or you would give me some pages and then I would draw... And um, I would add some background characters just because you're filling out a crowd. Uh, you're just making things interesting. And so I drew who's that that big uh, goonish character I had with the horns. Oh, you, on. You, yeah, I think I described him as looking like Tor Johnson and you made him look like some insane guy with. Uh, well, who is who is that actor that, that we we I, ended, I based him on? I can't remember, but he was like an old like he had the <laughs> he had like the flat nose. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, and like I added a character that was just Rondo Hatton. That's what we ended up. Rondo, with. yeah, yeah, Rondo, Rondo Hatton. Hatton. I just threw him in there because it's like, okay, that's an interesting face. So I'll throw it in, and then like then the next five pages, he's in it, and the you know the background character characters I added, like the Karen with the megaphone, she's in it now, and she's a a character, and it was like an improvisational way to do it, like developing and yeah, a lot of stuff. Yeah, having that kind of time. I will say that the, the, that was the most collaboration we've ever had. Uh, Even the very last page when we uh, you added that joke um, about the I won't spoil it. I guess about the <laughs> the main villain. It was just like at the last minute, it's colored and lettered, and and we're just like, oh, just one more thing, just put it in. Yeah, there was like, a, there was a plot element that you could actually, with one line of dialogue and something in the coloring, I was able to change that character completely. Right. Dave's idea 
It was basically what if the main villain was, it's not a big spoiler. What if the main villain isn't really a zombie? He's a guy who has figured out the zombies are in charge. So he sprays himself and becomes their leader. And Dave came up with it. Wouldn't it be great if he was a fraud? Like he said that <laughs> the entire comic was drawn. It's done. Yeah. And I was like, there's a moment where he's sprayed with the antidote to the plague. And I was like, well, what if the colorist draws it as dripping? And instead of whatever line Elvira had there, she's saying, oh, you big fraud, blah, 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 blah. And we managed to make, we managed to get that idea in there. Which is wild because it's not in the it was not in the art and it wasn't in the script. It's a comic that was written on Facebook Messenger, you know? Like <laughs> and to true. me, like that's why like this is us. This yeah. one shot is us. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean this five years worth of collaboration yeah. into that. There's something very musical about collaborations like that. I mean, uh, uh, I don't know if you guys uh, saw the Bee Gees doc that just uh, dropped on HB- HBO yet, Max. But I'm dying it, to. It, it, I mean, it's pretty damn good, and I'm a I, I'm a huge fan, and and they're they're incredible songwriters. But um, I mean, the biggest surprise to me was, you know, I mean, they're they're not coming into the studio with finished songs or anything like remotely approaching that. It's like they may have. They may have a lick, uh, you know, in, in their mind. Uh, they may have a turn of phrase in their mind. And then, you know, they just kind of show up in the studio and somebody starts right. playing something on the piano and, and somebody's like, wait a minute, play that again, you know? And then and then they start. That's they what start you don't with, get start, if you're a yeah. singer songwriter, you know, yeah. that does yeah, everything exactly. and hears the song this, and you, you teach yeah, this everybody. Magic that come. Yeah. And then there's a guy, there's a guy in the, you know, there's a guy in the booth that's like, hey, hey yeah, yeah. Well, what if we added this? Like, you know, and then it's like, you know, and, and, um, and, and the accidents that happen, like they're, they're entire, the entire kind of like second act of their career with this falsetto stuff. It just happened by accident at the studio, you know? And somebody was like, that sounds fucking awesome. What if we made a career out of that? And then suddenly they have right. this like whole, you know, next chapter. And, um, and, and, you know, that is kind of the, um, that is the life of making these things. Right. And, 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 and when we go back to uh, whether it's an editor or, or a writer or whomever uh, the man kind of putting an artist in a corner or something like that, you, you, you sort of put, um, I don't know, you put shackles on all of that stuff, right. You're, you're not allowing that to happen. You're not allowing this kind of like, jam band like thing to kind of like give birth to these beautiful albums right that's the charge i get out of working with a a writer you know i i daydream about writing my own book and drawing it but it's probably never going to happen because it's not as exciting to talk to myself as it is to talk to avo about what oh wouldn't be cool if we did this you know yeah and it's like like, talking to a typist you just you know just having another person to entertain brings it out instead of i would just second guess everything i would yeah and and, and when when john bohr and i and and d crown and ryan and 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 sometimes there were some other people in the rooms when when we did these movies when we broke these these movies we were talking about um you know i mean again you know john bohr is in you know he's in hungary now he's in uh you know budapest and and uh and and we worked, we worked great, like with me here and him in Budapest, but, but we flew him to the United States to, to break two movies and, and, and four or five of us got in a room and, you know, basically I just cleared my schedule for a week and we locked ourselves, you know, in a room for like 10 hours a day and we just broke these movies. And, and, and there were times where, you know, what we, we broke, we broke an entire movie that is pretty fucking awesome in like three days. And that was just because like we were, we were locked in a fucking room and we weren't thinking about anything else. And it was that BG style atmosphere where it's like, you have four mm-hmm. or five people, 
and we're all just riffing off each other. And oh, that's a great idea. What if we built that out? And and, and you, you go down you go down the wrong road sometimes. You back up. You do this. You do that. But it's almost like and and you leave and you are fucking tired and you are sweaty and you are sore. And it was this physical uh, uh, experience. It was this emotional like uh, roller coaster. It was it was all of these things. But like you got together and you knocked this stuff out and. And I think it's what we're all hitting on is like that's whatever version of that, like you can, you can get to now and, and when you're in, in not Dearborn and, and Avalonia or in Hollywood, um, uh, you should strive for, because again, that is where like, that is it's, where this thing comes to life. Right. That is like the, the, the magic of these collaborations we're talking about. Right. And it's definitely easier when you're in the same room, when you're mm-hmm. like, there are things that make it Eastman, all the stuff I've done with him, Every time we plot something out, I go down to San Diego, I spend a day, we sit around for a day beating out stories and coming up mm-hmm. with stuff. And that's the ideal. Uh, you know, Dave and I, I think one of the things that keeps our conversation alive all the time, and I know not a lot of people do this and some people would find it onerous, but Dave sends me every layout, pencils, inks, and 99.9999999999% of the time, the response is fantastic. Thumbs up. <laughs> you know, that's it. <laughs> and that 0.00001% of the time I say, Oh, in that panel, she's actually holding the knife, not the candelabra, like whatever microscopic story detail right. slipped through, you know, and then a that's lot of times I, I see it. something yeah. and go, Oh, I hadn't thought of that. That's great. <laughs> you know, Part of it's what I love uh, working. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I just wanted to ask you, Dave, actually, because because uh, you mentioned that you 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 know you send the layout, the sketch, the the ink, the every 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 step of the artwork, and and you're lucky because you know then your partner is somebody who can understand what he's seeing in and uh, right. not every writer and not every every client is is you know sometimes I, I learn it all right for this client or this this writer i cannot send something unfinished because he will not know how to look at it and that's i've that's, done that with that's, storyboards that's, that's, that's a writer's yeah. credit that's the writer's credit that okay that if you can read it that's that's going to be a, a good collaboration no you're absolutely not, right it's going to be painful, stuff, yeah. you have to do the whole work before you show it to them or they'll say yeah, this is yeah. what is this but exactly. Avalone, and I wanted to bring this up, um, working with writers that have directed live action and especially ones that have edited is a real pleasure because they know that a lot of the decisions, you know, they don't, they're not precious about what's in the room and where everything is. And this has to be on the left. Like they understand you're going to figure that out when you get on set, you know, you're going to block it and yeah. they give you more leeway and the editing part, especially where it's like, we don't need every beat we know you know we see them grab their keys then they're driving we don't need to see them walk to the car open the door do the you know like there's something about working with a writer that has film experience and i've done it a couple times um that uh is always uh saladin also has film experience doesn't he he has a, a little bit he's been in uh doing some production stuff alex DeCampi, she's directed a lot too sure uh and it's always like you just I count on 
those people just give me exactly what I need and nothing more. <laughs> like, well, it's that something you know, important. There are, there are directors who walk up to the DP and say, I want a 40 millimeter lens. I want it eight feet off the ground. I want this. I want that. And then there are people who say, give me a close up. Mm-hmm. Right. And you let them set up the close up and then you look at the monitor or you look through the lens and you go a little tighter. And once you've done that five times, the sixth time the DP sets up the close-up, you don't need to tell him a little tighter because he's seen it five times now and he knows what you like or she knows what mm-hmm. you like. They know what you like. That's the To me, that's collaboration. Is you, right. The first, you the first job you're looking at the monitor, jobs. you're looking through the lens a lot. The fifth job you're like, you know, you know, yeah. the thing I like, well, the wide yeah. with the thing and the thing. Yeah, just do that. That'll be great. Yeah, and it, it, it's it's so the beauty of working with, you know, an artist or a colorist, uh, uh, you know, over and over again is that that shorthand is just out of the way. I mean, it, it, it is the, um, uh, I mean, it, it, it pains me to hire a new colorist sometimes uh, as, you know, as, as talented uh, uh, as they might be, because like, I know that there's just, there's this learning curve, right? Like we, we have right. to learn each other's language inside mm-hmm. now. And, that, and, and that's on both sides. And it's like, well, you know, um, I could hire this person who's maybe not as talented, uh, but we already have the shorthand. We can maybe get the work done in half the time. Or there's this person who's like wildly talented, but we, we now have to well, like work so hard to, to learn each other. And uh, there's, there's so. an aspect we haven't talked about yet, which I think is super important, which is, I love Dave as a human being. I think he's great. I'm very fond of him. We share a lot of politics. We share a lot of perspectives on the world and all that. And that, Michael Stipe once said, you want to start a band? You are better off teaching your best friend in the world how to play bass than putting an ad in a paper oh, yeah, for yeah. The, hot, most hot, the most hot shit bass player in the world. Guess what? They don't need you mm-hmm. in your shitty little band. But your buddy who you helped learn bass is going to not be a pain in the ass in the tour bus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're stuck with this person. You know, I was, when I used to teach acting and directing, I would, you know, I would try to t- I would try to explain to actors, don't be a precious asshole because when you're trying to be cast in something, the first question I ask your agent is, is he nice? <laughs> it, you know, is this a pleasant person? I'm eating breakfast with them for 30 days in a row. I don't mm-hmm. want there to be a horrible experience for me. Mm-hmm. So number one, uh, you know, be a buddy, be a pal, be a good person, you know, be someone that work with the people that you can get along with. And the luckiest thing, of course, in the world is when your friends are talented. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I do think there's a, I think there's a little bit of a connection between the kind of people I want to be around and who I want to be friends with are generally going to be people who are good at the thing that is their life's work. And it's not because I'm a snob. It's because people who are dedicated to a life's work that they're bad at have other personality. Like <laughs> That's also a delusional person. Like someone who thinks they're a great artist and is a bad artist, that's, I guarantee you, that's not the only thing wrong with them as a human being. I guarantee, like, they have other emotional issues. Um, yeah. You know, so it's, I haven't really had a problem with, like, you know, the, the working with talented, all of the talented artists I've worked with and I've been lucky have also been great human beings. I've been 
incredibly fortunate in that regard. And it makes it so much easier to keep coming back to the same people. And look, yeah, right. it's great. You know, the best part about being a writer instead of being an artist is what we do takes a fifth the time of what you do. So I get to work with other artists as well. And I've been, again, lucky to find people. Uh, I just did my first project with uh, Sylvia Califano, and she was amazing, and the work looks amazing. And it was a new relationship and a new work process for both of us. And, uh, you know, another person that's on the permanent list of. And I'm always nosy about who you're working with. And so anytime you tell me, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm working with so-and-so. Here's their Twitter. I'll go, show me sequentials. Show me. (laughs) I want to see. You know, I'm always so nosy. Yeah. But, um, no, it's good though. It's a it's a it's a good interest to have, you know. It is cool because that's how like if I can't do something, I that's who I'll recommend, you know. Right. Yeah, it's difficult. Yeah. You definitely, you know, so it's 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 about it's about finding people that you can communicate well with, that you can communicate easily with. You know, and it's and even, he, it's funny because they'll even drive you nuts on something like, oh, they're doing this again or whatever. But then if I'm starting another project, I'm like, well, call them. Okay, get get them again because, you know. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Do you guys always work remotely? Yeah. We have, never, we have never met. Uh, I'm trying to think if I've ever met an artist that I have worked with. Uh, there's a Mexican artist named Isao Figueroa that I ran into at San Diego once, but the first artist I worked with lives on an island off the coast of Morocco. I don't know that he's ever come <laughs> to the United States. I've met a lot of writers I've worked with, except you, which is funny because I've worked with you the most. Yeah, 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 I've, yeah, I've yeah. Met, yeah. Me and Saladin have hung out a couple times. Like, uh, where is Saladin based? Is he in New York? No, he's uh, Metro Detroit. So. Oh, okay. Well, that's yeah. easy. Yeah. Yeah. John, John, John Bohr is the only artist that I've you know th- that I've worked on something with that I've I've met uh, physically, and again we had to fly him from Hungary uh, in order to make that happen. Right. He he is also, uh, uh, as far as I know, the only artist that actually speaks fluent English. I mean, I'm a, I, I, I'm I'm an, you know I'm a stupid American, so I barely speak uh, one language. Uh, you know, the, the <laughs> most, uh, most, most of the artists I work with speak three or four, uh, but, but, uh, their English is, is, you know, maybe not good enough to, uh, you know, get on a Skype and, and, and hash something out. So it's mostly emails and, uh, Google translate. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I have, uh, artists and, uh, uh, more than a few artists in Brazil, uh, in Mexico, uh, um, you know, uh, Portugal, uh, my go-to colorist is in Indonesia, uh, um, and, uh, yeah, have not, uh, met or, um, or even, you know, spoken to, uh, uh, most of them. Um, other than yeah. I think uh, as, as an artist, the, one of the most challenging things I find is, uh, how to, especially at the initial, um, uh, stages of the process, how to talk about your art, how to communicate about it without showing something, how to communicate with somebody who's not an artist. Mm-hmm. Uh, about what he's about to see what, or or understanding what they are telling you because they have sometimes if it's a corporate job they have no idea what they're talking about they yeah. can't really yeah. tell you what they want to see mm-hmm. yeah and it's yeah. it's decoding that is it's not it's not even a language barrier it's even if it's yeah. the same language it's it can be very difficult so 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, Speaking that, the same language go, definitely helps. Wow. That can go even to, you know, I have people, I have friends who've done visual effects for Jim Cameron who said that, you know, you show him a temp version of an effect and he just says, I hate it, you're horrible, make it cooler, and doesn't tell you what would make it cooler no, or better. That's or, the worst, yeah. You know, whereas, whereas whatever you may think about George Lucas, George gets the laser pointer out, I've seen this too, and goes like, move that robot two feet closer to the camera. That guy in the back, his head's red, make it blue. Uh, you know, you know, like he's the opposite of like. No, I know exactly what would make this nah, yeah. better. What I would like to make. Yeah. This and there are there are limitations. I feel like I know what my limitations are. Uh, I have nothing to. I am very little help to our letterer, in the sense mm -hmm. that in in the sense of like the aliens should have an interesting lettering treatment. That's the best I can do, guy. Mm. <laughs> you know, like do 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 your best, man. I it should look interesting that's all i got i'm not a letterer i can't help it and color a little bit less so i i, I still can have a good idea about coloring every once in a while there, a lot there, of times there, i'm just like there's you know. this other thing that happens where uh you can have a very insistent client you know i know this uh, uh as a writer um and they are giving you I mean, they're giving you very specific information and sometimes you know sometimes it's a matter of like they don't know what they want you know what I'm saying? Or they don't know what's wrong. Um, uh, we use this phrase, uh, my writing partner and I, the note behind the note, mm -hmm. because, you know, because these people are not stupid. They're like, they're, they're, they're reading something uh, or they're watching something and they, and, and there is a speed bump for them in this specific spot. Right. And so they know that there's something wrong here and they have identified a problem, but they are so insistent that this is the problem and, or this is how you fix that problem. And they're 100% wrong, right? And so you you have to you have to kind of take this apart and put it back together. And you need and sometimes you know you don't know right off the bat what the problem is. So you need to figure out what the problem is and then address right. it in in the appropriate way. And most uh, uh, you know who are uh, you know who are smart enough, they will then read it and be like, oh yeah, this works. This is perfect. Uh, why didn't I think of that? Or they'll forget what they even said and they'll be like, yeah, luckily I told you how to do this, huh? Um, mm. uh, you know, but some will be like, well, that's not how I told you to do it. Go back and do it the way I told you to do it. And it's like, well, that's not the, that's not the way to do it. Right. <laughs> and so we, I, I feel like we are all always kind of like navigating these, uh, these very kind of treacherous waters with this stuff. The, the world's greatest film editor, uh, Walter Murch compares some of what we do and it includes the kind of work we do uh, to dream analysis. Mm -hmm. Someone will tell you they had a dream about a plane and you say, what kind of plane? They don't know what kind of plane. But if you say to them, so it was a 747, they go, no, it was a biplane. Hmm. Because they needed something to push back against, mm -hmm. to contextualize. So if you throw out an idea to them, they go, no, it's not that. That's mm -hmm. not the thing that I saw. That's not the thing I see in my head. Yeah. But now that you tell me it's a thing, I know it's not that thing. So mm -hmm. what are the other things it could be? You know, it's an interesting being an editor in particular is like, is, is like therapy in that because you are sort of like, and you know, my wife's a costumer. And so many times she says when a writer on a TV show is very insistent about a woman's costume, they don't give a shit about you're dealing with someone's fetish. 
You're dealing with someone's teenage, like, I need it to be that red dress that's like the one that Lara San Giacomo wore in that movie. You're like, we get it. This turned you on when you were 14. You've never been able to forget it. And now this one episode a year, you give a shit about costumes. And Mm -hmm. you will never give a shit about costumes in the show ever again. But this thing means a lot to you. So relax. We will rent you that thing and it'll all be fine. And you can have your little you know, teenage jerk off moment, but it's, it's, uh, you know, you do, there are things where you part of any job collaborative job is sort of knowing what the other, the note behind the note, knowing it's not, you know, when someone gives you a bad idea that doesn't work, the question is always, what are you, what are you trying to convey or accomplish? You know, what do you think that, a friend of mine who was a relatively successful screenwriter at one point said to me, you never say no in the meeting. You say, you get a thoughtful look on your face and you say, what does that get us? Mm-hmm. Because it puts them in a position where they have to explain why it works instead of you explaining why it doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, because you explaining why it doesn't work puts them on their back legs and they get mad. Instead of saying, mm-hmm. hmm, interesting, why why do you think the 65-year-old Jewish scientist should be an eight-year-old boy? That's an interesting note. Where, 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 where are you taking that? And then maybe they got something. But more often than not, they go, eh, forget that. <laughs> I can't actually defend that. Forget it. No. But, you know, all of these things go into the collaboration. Um, no, and, you know, when I, when I talk about networking, I always say, ultimately, it's not networking. It's just making friends. You make Mm -hmm. friends with people down the road. Maybe you work with them. You never approach them with dollar signs in your eyes. You're just like, you know, let's, let's know each other. Let's be friendly to one another. Let's be helpful to one another. Um, And that's what it's all about, you know, to not to wrap it up in a bow, but you know, being, being helpful to one another. And again, the joy of it, you know, Dave has made me a better comic book writer. Absolutely. Um, You know, and has made everything, that we've worked on together better, better than I, you know, forget the fact that I can draw just like, you know, (laughs) I uh, just feel so lucky that we just got, you know, pushed together in this uh, production line manner. Cause like it could have been anybody, you know, totally chance. And it turned into like a brotherhood for the last five years, you know? And this, the same month that I wrote the one shot that you did, I wrote another one shot and was assigned another perfectly good artist. Um, but we had talked less. Mm. Uh, I had no, I had very little communication with that other artist. I sent them some, uh, reference material. As you know, I'm big on the reference material. And though I will say that artist read my mind on something truly impressive and I never, and I went back and looked at my script and I was like, did I ever? No, I didn't. I wrote a character that was very similar to the bald lady in Star Trek, the motion picture after she gets turned into an alien probe. It was okay. a talking female computer character. And I wrote it very much in the voice. And he absolutely drew the bald chick from Star Trek, the motion picture. Uh, and I went back and looked at my script and I said, did I say Persis Kambata anywhere in here? It's like, he's like, no, obviously that's, <laughs> That was the kind here's, of template for that character very clearly, so I just drew it. <laughs> here's something I want to uh, bring up as far as artist-writer collaborations is something that 
has evolved over the years through us is like we have the Pinterest page where we both add stuff reference like, oh, I think this costume could look like this or here's you if there's specific locations, you'll put that in there, which is super helpful. Uh, and then we often cast characters. Well, we'll say it could look like this obscure character actor from the 60s, you know, mm-hmm. and um, you put the security guards in Elvira number four. Mm hmm. And I'm like, well, obviously that's Abbott and Costello. It was two guys, you know, mm-hmm. like, so we'll, we'll cast, you'll have, we'll, we'll share a Pinterest board. We'll cast it together. And then we've even made soundtracks together. Yeah. You sent me a lot of music for Doc Savage. Yeah. And then I think we both sent stuff back and forth for Elvira too. Yeah. So stuff it's all this. Listening to when I was writing and stuff like that. <clears throat> unnecessary totally unnecessary yeah. no one sees it it's not none of this is referenced in the comic but it's just part of our collaboration yeah. you know the mm-hmm. the story behind it yeah which it's, is it's a, it's a it's a tone thing like and you know yeah. collaboration is all about you being on the same you know yes you have different perspectives to bring to it but ultimately you got to be speaking the same language together and telling the same right. story um and from yeah. across the country yeah that's part of how we did it yeah and you can see you can definitely see so many mainstream comics even big two comics i find them incomprehensible to read the eye trace doesn't work like the storytelling is disjointed and i'm just like how does this shit get past editorial i just don't because editors don't they don't always have the best hold on that the nuts and bolts stuff they look at big picture when things are getting done who's doing them Okay, yeah. this has been approved. You know, they have a lot of other parts of their job. Uh, if they have to tell an artist how to tell a story, then yeah, you know, it's a problem. They've made a bad hire. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's no, not. It shouldn't be their job. Late. You know. Yeah. yeah. Well, we oh, should probably we, wrap up. We're hitting the ninety-minute yeah. mark. Uh, yeah. Anyone have any closing thoughts about our subject? Um, not really. No, I've said it all. <laughs> Why don't we? Uh, no, it's been a pleasure, and it's become uh, it'll be a lifetime friendship. And I talk to you, you know, besides my wife, I talk to you probably the most often, <laughs> either chatting or podcasts or just you know yeah. messages or whatever. And uh, I, yeah, I it's been you great. You just right have now. to be be open to it, you know. Well, why don't we go around the uh, why don't we go around the wheel here? We'll start with you, Dave, and then uh, go over to John Bohr and uh, uh, remind us who you are. Uh, let us know um, what you have coming out, uh, where we can find you, all that good stuff. Uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Dave Draws Good. Uh, uh, we just finished. Uh, I had two Kickstarters last year uh, during the pandemic year. One was for Elvira Omega Mam which uh, is wrapped up. Uh, it's going to print. People should be getting that soon. And then um, mid-2021, around June, uh, I'm working on a creator-owned uh, horror Dracula historical hardcover 100-page graphic novel called Dragon with uh, writer Saladin Ahmed. And it's uh, it's I've done a lot of horror books in my career, which is... I'm very thankful for it because I love it. And this is the, this is the most horror I've done. <laughs> it's, it's yeah, gruesome. And during the crusades, which to me is a, a great pitch. And I can't wait. It's to like, it's Excellent. a Muslim, 
knight and uh, a Catholic nun team up to fight Dracula. And it's just a cool angle on a story. Because I've done, Avalone, you and I have done our own Dracula take. Yes, we did Vlad and the Impaler. This is one that um, I haven't heard before from Saladin. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, it's a, it's been really fun, really challenging. Uh, but that'll be coming out mid next year. Cool. John Bor, what do you got going on? Yeah, uh, so, yeah, thank you for uh, having me here. And um, I, I, you can, if somebody wants to find me, they can find me on Instagram, um, Jean Boruska, but the pronunciation is, is, is pointless for me to say this because nobody knows how to write this down. So. <laughs> well, uh, we'll have it in the show notes. There's a Z in it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, there's Z and an S and all kinds of crap that... that <laughs> you know when I when I when I go to the states and I have to introduce myself for uh for somebody new who I'm, I'm I know I'm not gonna have an ongoing conversation with I just don't even bother I just call me call me John <laughs> anyway so you can find me on Instagram and Facebook and uh, look out for uh, Chasing Dragons and uh, a children's book an animated short I'm doing called Krampus it's more like a Christmas theme. Uh, one is the Chasing Dragons, a very bloody, sexy, action-packed uh, samurai slash kung fu slash western kind of story. The other is a, is a very cute children's book, like like um, The Grinch or or some Dr. Seuss kind of kind of thing. So uh, those are the two things that are coming from me and uh, and Ryan actually, who was mentioned a bit earlier. Nice. And uh, and uh, one thing I'd like to say, Ryland, I expect uh, just as enthusiastic outro that the, uh, the intro was uh, when God. we started talking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know if I have it right. after 90 minutes. That's, a, that's asking a lot. Uh, I'm David Avalone. I'm the, all the links will be there, but easiest is davidavalonefreelance.com, which has all of the buttons that take you to all of the corners of the internet uh, that I'm on. I do another podcast called Pulp Today, which is me reading from anything that's ever been printed on cheap paper um, and uh, covering all types of literature. Sometimes I have a special guest. I, I suggest you check that out uh, if you're looking for recommendations on what to read during the pandemic. Uh, and I have The Omega Man coming out as part of an anthology called Nightmare Theater, um, which was the piece I did with Sylvia Califano, hoping to turn that into a full series. Uh, and that series is, uh, right now it's called Black Forest and it's a cross between Band of Brothers and The Princess Bride, if you can work that out in your head somehow. And, um, and yeah, I got a new Elvira miniseries coming out next year, but that's still God knows when and no artist has been named and all of that. (laughs) Um, and that's where to find me, Ryland Grant. Well, you know something mean, Gene. Uh, there, just a little bit of it. I don't think I can go too much. <laughs> uh, Good enough for me. Good enough for me. Just a little bit for John Boer. Uh, <laughs> yes, um, I am on uh, all forms of social media at Ryland Grant, like John Boer. Uh, my name is hard to spell and hard to uh, uh, put together in your mind. So look down in the show notes. Um, I won't spell it this time. I usually spell it. Um, but nobody's writing it down. Uh, Aberrant, uh, the book uh, on which uh, John Bohr and I collaborated uh, and uh, won a Ringo Award uh, two years ago and the Ringo-nominated Banjax, 
are all available in fine comic shops everywhere and um, online via Comixology and Amazon and all that noise. Um, so look for those. Uh, like Acosta, I did um, um, I did a couple of Kickstarters this last year. The Jump um, uh, is available via Backerkit right now, as well as my last book, The Peacekeepers, um, which is kind of a, a sort of a uh, love letter to quirky crime dramas like Fargo and No Country for Old Men. Um, those are available now via Backerkit. Uh, the Peacekeepers, one word, dot backerkit.com. You can get both of those books there as well as a bunch of other cool stuff. Um, uh, rare, aberrant, and Banjax Convariance and all sorts of fun stuff. So uh, uh, check that out if you are looking. Um, uh, my movie with Emile Hirsch is, uh, is coming out next year. Don't have a, a date on that yet. I mean, it's all COVID dependent, right? Um, and, and what's yeah, the my, title? Uh, uh, it is called State of Consciousness now. It's kind of this cool uh, psychological mindfuck. Um, uh, can't talk too much about it right now because I'm, you know, extremely interesting and all that stuff. But um, it's a great movie, and, and Emil like really delivered a, a hell of a performance. So it's, uh, I, I think it's going to be. Um, I think uh, I believe uh, Venice Film Festival next year, which is September. So nice. uh, ways away, but but again, all COVID dependent and all that stuff. So we shall see. Um, yeah, comics wise, um, have a lot of stuff in the pipe, but um, you know, again, COVID was just a wrecking ball to all this stuff. So soon enough, um, you know, I had two books that were supposed to come out with major publishers, and they were supposed to be announced before the COVID stuff, and then everybody started getting fired. Um, and books were shelved and, uh, and, and yeah. turnaround and all that stuff. And I think I finally have homes for a couple of these things now. Um, so hopefully, uh, announcements, uh, coming soon on that stuff because, uh, I'm stopped up, man. I got, uh, I got books and, 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 you know, they need people to read them. Um, but, uh, but, but soon enough, um, other than that, uh, this was a great show guys. Thanks so much for uh, coming and sitting down and talking with us. Thanks it's for joining us. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for having us. Thank you guys. I right, guess. Thanks for watching. Thanks Bye-bye. for listening. We'll see you next week. If you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to smash that like button. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or other fine purveyors of ear crack, please leave us a five-star review. And wherever you're watching and or listening, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. We'll see you back here next week for more Madcap Hijinks on the Writer's Block. For more information, visit PendantAudio.com. Thanks for listening.